Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. It's uh, great to be here. Great to be hanging out with you all. Good to be with Steve. And it's good to see you, Cindy. Blessings to you. Um, I want to, I wish we had a lot more time, but I want to jump right into things. Um, uh, I'll probably go more in depth about some prophetic things tonight at Akron if you want to make the journey out there. But in the 38 years we've been doing international prophetic ministry, uh, we've worked really hard at avoiding international prophetic ministry. No, that's, that's a different message. Uh, I've had a, a number of visions, well, many visions for churches, cities, individuals, people like that. But regarding the throne of God, I've had two or three major visions uh, that have ended up uh, having some pretty amazing consequences. The first one was in May of 1992, right after we had moved to Toronto, and it had to do with the throne of God and Niagara Falls coming down from the throne of God over the city of Toronto, and that ended up being the outpouring of the Holy Spirit a year and a half later that went to the nations. But in the uh, about three months before uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit began, I was speaking at a church in the Midwest. We were living in Toronto at the time. But living in the speaking of church in the Midwest United States, and I had an open vision of the throne of God, and I just saw uh, great laughter uh, emanating from Jesus. And I thought, well, this is strange. Jesus doesn't laugh, he's serious, he's focused, you know. And little did I know that the move that was coming, there was going to be so much joy of the Holy Spirit released to the body of Christ and so much refreshing. But uh, four years ago, four years ago and about three weeks ago, I was in Jerusalem and we had a, uh, an absolutely amazing gathering of over 5,000 intercessors and Christian leaders from all over the globe for four day, five nights of prayer and worship. And from China alone, we had 1,500 intercessors there. And for five nights, four days, we did do some speaking, but nothing was scheduled. But we were focused on prayer and worship, and it was an incredible time. But I shared at the very last session a second open vision, very similar to the one I'd had in 1992 of the throne of God. And it was very similar, but the Lord was releasing drops of blood, which is symbolic of his, the compassion, the blood of the Lamb, landing upon different cities, different nations. And everywhere those drops hit, revival fire would spring up, fires of God's glory, fire of God's presence. Because ultimately, revival is not measured in having extra meetings or uh, a frenzied pace of church life. Revival is measured by the manifest glory of God coming upon a community. I love what they, some of the people of the Outer Hebrides, that they had an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit there in the late 1940s and 50s. And they said, uh, revival has to do with a God consciousness coming upon the general citizenship. It's not just what happens in a church, but a God consciousness coming upon the community. And we're on the verge, I believe, of just some amazing things happening. 
And there's so much turmoil right now, so many questions with COVID-19, economically, what's gonna happen? I know where I'm from in California, uh, many, many people have lost their jobs due to heavy-handed uh, government control. Different things are going on, but everything that can be shaken right now is being shaken. And a lot of people have suffered isolation in the United States. In the last nine months, there's been an increase of suicide, increase of drug abuse, alcohol abuse. And what we're finding contrary, you know, praise God for the freedom you have in Ohio, but what we're finding contrary to many state governors is church is essential. Church is essential. It gives hope, it gives a voice of faith, it gives a voice of encouragement, but the coming together but there's another side to the coin that I want to talk about today, and that is when we come together and we make a resting place for the glory of God in our worship. In Joshua chapter 3, under the prior direction of Moses, Joshua was giving the people direction to prepare for crossing the promise into the Jordan into the promises of God, which is similar to us coming into some promises we've had about moves of the Spirit. And there's two distinct things that Joshua said, he said, number one, consecrate yourselves, meaning get right with the ways of the Lord so you can walk in the authority that God's gonna give you in the promised land. And I hope this is not a surprise for anybody, but if you want an increase in authority, you need to be under authority, but there's, we don't have time for that. But secondly, he said, keep your eyes focused on the ark, meaning the presence of God, because you're gonna go away you have not gone before. And one of the things the Lord has been doing the last seven, eight, nine months with the body of Christ is I think helping us have discernment between those who are really plugged into Christ as disciples of Christ as opposed to merely believers in Christ. And as we've seen in some church situations, people back off of attendance. And there are good reasons for maybe not attending. I'm not attacking everybody on that. If you have some prior underlying conditions or you working with the elderly, there's good reasons for you know, live streaming and Zooming and things like that. But across the board, church attendance is down and not always for good reasons. And a lot of people are finding that their Christianity is consists of tradition, a cultural thing, rather than the relationship with Christ Jesus and his church being vital. And coming together, it's not only mutually encouraging and strengthening, just physically being together, but there's the dynamic of being together wherever two or more are gathered, Jesus said, it will be in your midst. There's two different occasions in the book of Judges where they were about to go into battle and the 12 leaders of the 12 tribe gathered together and prayed and said, Lord, which tribe should go up first? And the Lord said both times, let Judah go up first. That's Judges 1, 20 and 2018. The word Judah in the Hebrew, it means effective praise and worship. Literally, it means to throw out your hands. And when we lift our hands before God, it's one, it's exalting him, but two, it's also symbolic of surrendering to him. All over the world, when you lift your hands, it's a sign of surrender. But three, when we're lifting our hands, we're giving testimony to the awesomeness of God who created the universe and all that is in it just by speaking it into existence. I want to speak about a fresh thing the Lord's going to be doing in worship, and I'm convinced that your church is going to be experiencing this well. Worship in our personal hearts, but corporate worship as well. 
And if you would turn to Second Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to be camped out there the rest of the service. I'm not going to read every verse, I'm going to highlight it. And Second Chronicles chapter 20, it goes into detail about the time when Jehoshaphat was the king of, the, of Judah and Jerusalem. And he was one of the better kings in both Judah and Jerusalem's history. He was actually a reformer. But it says that three large armies gathered together and they came to attack. They surrounded Jerusalem and they came to attack and annihilate Jerusalem and the nation of Judah. In Psalm 27, verses 5 through 6, it says, In the day of trouble... God, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And when you ever read about that rock in the Old Testament, it's referring to Jesus, the rock of our salvation. He will set me in the shelter, he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted among the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy, I will sing and make music to the Lord. I'm convinced there's new songs that God is going to give to the church. I don't just mean writing new songs, but a new song of the heart. Because God is doing something in worship, drawing us into his glory in a way we haven't experienced before. It says that when these three armies came against Jerusalem and Judah, it says in verse 3 that Jehoshaphat was afraid. And I used to think that if I ever really became a man of faith, I would never experience fear. But that's, uh, that's, that's wrong. That's like thinking if you ever become super spiritual, you're never ever going to experience temptation. But even Jesus experienced temptation. When fear comes, we have a choice, just like with temptation. Do we go with it? Do we cave into it? Or do we turn to the Lord and his promises? Jehoshaphat, this mighty man of God, was afraid but then he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. They gathered together and they worshiped the Lord, they prayed to the Lord, they called out to the Lord. And I want to say to you that there is something incredible about unity. Whether for righteous purposes or unrighteous purposes, unity releases authority. For good causes or bad causes. In Acts chapter 4, They'd gone many years without persecution. The church was growing like crazy. It was just a, just a great time of revival for Jerusalem. But finally, after performing a particular miracle, Peter and John were arrested and threatened not to preach the gospel anymore. But they gathered together with the church and they prayed. And it says in Acts 4, verse 23, <clears throat> they lifted their voices together to God. And in unity... They worshipped him, and they said, Sovereign Lord, who has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And without wanting to get spooky or too, you know, ethereal, when we gather together and lift up our voices out of one heart, whether you're seated, whether you're standing in your chair, shouting in tongues, oh, we're in Bethel, I better not go there. But whatever you're doing in your expression to God, if we're doing it in unity, we make a resting place for the very glory of God. And where his presence is, there is liberty. 
In the book of Hebrews, they quote from the Psalms, and it reads, You made him, meaning Christ, for a while a little lower than the angels, but now you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything, say everything, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. (coughs) At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And I want to stand before you today and say, biblically speaking, God is in charge of the nations. And there's so much of a fear factor today politically. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum. Well, I want to tell you the answer for Americans' problems is not donkeys and elephants. It's Christ on the cross. And no matter what takes place, we have this absolute promise from Isaiah 9, verse 7. There'll be no end to the increase of God's kingdom, his government, and of his peace. So what that means, if even if the person you voted for does not win the election, even if what you fear may happen to government, even if you begin to see things going a certain way, there will be no end to the increase of God's kingdom and of his peace. Why? Because his throne is greater than that of the authority of any president, any prime minister, any king in this realm. We do not yet see everything of subjection, but I would maintain you can see that if you understand that it's an absolute miracle that in the last 40 years, with all the people that have nuclear weapons at their disposal, that there has not been an outbreak of nuclear war. I believe it is the sovereign hand of God that has prevented that. And when, when we get to the other side of heaven and God begins to reveal how he's worked, we're going to begin to see many things that happened that we just thought were so random or so out of control. Maybe God didn't cause those, but he allowed those, and he wove those together for the coming, the return of his son Jesus and a harvest. Because as it says in Psalm 2, the nations will be given to him as an inheritance. And so in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 5, they worshiped and said, you rule over the nations, over all the kingdoms of the nations. That they looked at these three great armies that were surrounding them and said, Lord, you're in charge. No matter what we don't see with these eyes, we know to be true in our hearts. They recognized as well their dependence upon God. They prayed in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. And sometimes when you feel absolutely helpless, you feel like you have no wiggle room. Like David sang in Psalm 40, you're in that pit of miry clay that you cannot climb out of. Just because you feel helpless does not mean you're ever hopeless. Because God is your God. Jesus is the good shepherd who watches over you to perform his kind intentions in your life. And they prayed and they said, we are powerless against this great horde that has come against us. And then they said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I want to tell you, I, I believe it's such a privilege to vote and, you know, it just, I, I got so irate when I read about some well-known theologians a couple of months ago who said, it doesn't matter who you vote for. 
Let, let me tell you, you talk to someone that's recently come out of Venezuela, you talk to somebody that survived Ceausescu in Romania before the cold, you know, everything broke loose. You talk to someone that's come out of the Ukraine. You talk to someone that survived, you know, prior to Glasnost and Perestroika, the Soviet Union. They will tell you it is such a God-given privilege to vote. And I'm going to get off that bandwagon right now. But having said that, our trust, our hope, and our confidence is not in the governments of man. It is in the government of God. We don't know what to do. One person's excited. Who said amen? I'm going to focus on the guy back there. The rest of you are kind of on your own here. He's the Pentecostal of the crowd. <laughs> we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you because, as Jesus said, my spirit will lead you and guide you. They proclaimed, in essence, the Lord was their champion. The question is, who is our champion? As Steve said, I live in Southern California, and if you were to say to a lot of guys in Southern California, who's your champion? They might say, LeBron James, and he's even from Ohio, isn't he? But, you know, they look at a great athlete or a spokesman like LeBron James, or they look at their favorite Hollywood celebrity or singer, I was just laughing to myself about a month or a few weeks before the election. I was scanning the internet news and I didn't turn to it, but I saw this one headline and it said, Jennifer Aniston reveals who she's voting for. And I thought, wow, a collective sigh of relief has gone up all over the world. Now we know who to vote for. Jennifer Aniston, she may be a nice person, she may be a wonderful person, but I'm telling you, our values need to come from God and his word, not from what any celebrity. God is our champion. I remember about uh, 10 years ago, I flew into some church. We were doing three nights of meetings, and uh, the first night we had a number of people uh, instantly healed of severe back problems. And uh, the pastor called me up uh, the next afternoon. He said, could you come? You know, I was at the hotel. Could you come a little bit early to the meeting? There's a lady that's new to our church, uh, she's got a really messed up back and she was not healed last night and she works as a nurse, she's on her feet she really needs a healing and I said sure so I got there and with the pastor met her a little bit and I sensed it was something internally not just physical so I said tell me your story and she said well um, uh, throughout high school I, I was in love with this guy and we got married when we graduated from high school then we both went to med school and I became a nurse and I started paying the bills and he continued on two or three more years and became a doctor and then a couple of years after that he opened up his own practice and a couple of years after that he fell into an adulterous affair with one of his nurses and he divorced me and left me for this younger woman and uh, I said, wow, you know, I can't imagine the rejection and pain you've been through. But I said, have you forgiven him? And I said, you know, uh, it's awful what you went through, but Jesus said, if we don't forgive those who have sinned against us, neither will the Father forgive us of our sins. And these are the literal words she said to me. She said, well, God's been speaking to me through Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil. And they both say you should not try to forgive a person until you feel like you're ready to forgive the person. And I thought, really? When Jesus in absolute torment and agony was hanging there on the cross and with great pain he raised his body up on those, that pig on his, through his feet so he could speak and gasped out these words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
Does anyone think he felt like doing that? No. He did it because that's the ways of the Father. And as we face all the choices in life before us right now, the question is, who is your champion? Who are you going to imitate? Who are you going to follow into battle? It says in verse 17 that the Lord spoke prophetically to them, and basically the Lord said, the battle belongs to me. The Lord said, you will not need to fight in this battle. And sometimes, again, like David in that pit of miry clay, when you've done everything you know should do, as it says in Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that he is God. David waited, and the Lord lifted him up, put his feet upon the rock, put a new song in his mouth, in his heart that many would see and hear. And if you've been surrounded by enemies, maybe... You know, in my home state, many, many people are unemployed right now because of COVID, but it's, it's hit the nation, all the economic things. Maybe you've gone through relationship crisis with the isolation that may have gone on, you know, and your situation. Maybe the fear of COVID, you know, maybe fear for loved ones of COVID. But as we're surrounded, so to speak, by our enemies, the Lord is calling us to stand firm. As the prophet said to him, stand firm, hold your position, and you will see the salvation of the Lord because the battle belongs to him. Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered, I will be there in your midst. Then in Second Chronicles 20, verse 20, a prophet spoke up, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. There were a number of prophetic conferences I spoke at last year, August, September, October, November, December even, where I was maybe one of two or three speakers, and inevitably one of the other speakers would say, this is the word of the Lord for 2020, Second Chronicles 2020, we're all going to get perfect vision in the spirit. Well, that worked out well, didn't it? We all saw COVID 10 miles away, didn't we? <laughs> but I do believe that as we've been hard-pressed in North America, in the United States, and all over the world, this is a time for pressing into the Lord. And as Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, that God wants to anoint the eyes of our heart to behold the Father of glory. You see, a lot of times people think the prophetic is just about what God is going to do. That's part of it, but the greater part of it is beholding the glory of God. In the early 80s, the church I was in leadership at in Southern California, we were just learning how to pray for the sick, and we were really excited about it. But we had, at a certain point, we had not as yet experienced creative miracles. And a woman came to me, about 25, and she said, my mother's in the hospital, her colon has been destroyed by cancer. Uh, they're going to do an operation tonight, tomorrow morning, or tomorrow morning. Would you come to the hospital this afternoon and pray for her? And so I said, yeah. And I said, well, I'll meet you at four. And I arranged for two friends of mine to join me. And uh, we got there. And as I said, we'd seen a number of healings, but no creative miracles. And I'm thinking, well, should we rebuke the cancer in the name of Jesus? Should we just speak to her, speak healing in the name of Jesus? Should we just soak her in prayer? Although we hadn't come up with that term yet. You know, should we, should we just you know, ask blessings? But as I began to pray, I said, Lord, would you please come and fill this room with your glory and grace? And this was about 1982. 
And something I had never experienced at that time took place. The literal kabod glory, the heaviness of God's presence came into the room. And I know sometimes people think I'm exaggerating when I say this, but literally the room became brighter to the naked eye. And there was this heaviness of God's holiness. And my two friends and I, for about 20 to 30 minutes, we were kneeling there on the hospital tile floor, just worshiping the Lord. And this heaviness lifted And I said to the woman, uh, uh, I said, whatever the Lord's going to do, he's done. His glory has been here. The daughter called me up the next morning, and they began the surgery, but they never completed it. They never removed her colon because they were shocked to find the colon was in perfect condition. And it's exciting when we lay hands on people and healings and miracles take place, but the best of all is just being in the presence of God. And I've been in meetings, for example, a number of years ago, a lady was visiting our church, two blind eyes, could not see at all. And just in the context of worship, nobody laid hands on her, no words of knowledge, no ministry time, she walked out with both eyes completely healed. And I've seen people healed of cancer, I've seen people healed of lameness, just all sorts of things, just by being in a place that has been a resting place for the glory of God as established. And they said, the prophet said, believe in the Lord your God, you will be established and believe his prophets. And I believe that in 2020, the mandate is not to cave into fear, but to press into God. That as we learn on a deeper level in our hearts and corporately to establish a resting place for God in the midst of our worship, we're gonna be led into some amazing moves of the spirit. Second Chronicles 20, verse 21, Jehoshaphat spoke and he said when, we had, when he had taken counsel with the people, <coughs> he were appointed those who were sing before uh, the Lord and they were to go before the army. This made absolutely no sense whatsoever because first when one great army would approach another great army, first the men with the shields, the swords and the spears would be marching behind them the archers Um, can I have the worship team come up right now God's moving right now and I just want to grab this a little bit before I have to take off but uh, first the men with the swords the shields the spears behind them would be the archers and uh, then would come the horses and chariots and uh, whatnot. but as the armies would go forth, the commanders of the armies would shout, send them a volley, and they would send a deadly rain of arrows that come down. And those archers, they would say, in 10 seconds, they could shoot three arrows. They were so quick. And the army in front, the guys with the swords and spears, they carried these great shields, and they would kneel down and have protection. But if you've seen the movies, true to life, there would often be just complete carnage, so complete death as those arrows came down. And so it made absolutely no sense to send the worshipers before the army. But the battle belongs to the Lord. It's his presence. Yeah, just keep doing that for a moment, if you would. I want to I'm going to cut this message short 
but I, I want to read to you out of uh, Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 through 6. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. I read it to the previous service. I won't take the time now, but our church did not meet from mid-March till Pentecost, and we did some illegal meetings Pentecost Day, and I did two special meetings Pentecost Sunday night. And primarily all we did was worship the Lord. And uh, we have a testimony that if we had time, I'd read it to you from a woman by the name of Ann Southern, who'd been fighting cancer for many, many years. And she writes just there in the meeting, in the context of worship, she felt this incredible peace of God come over her. And she heard the Lord say, I've healed you. And she said, Lord, if I'm healed, please let my doctor say to me, you don't have to take the cancer medicine anymore, the Revlimid, which was just wreaked havoc with her body in other ways. She went that week, had her blood tested, they found no sign of cancer. She went back three weeks later. Again, they did throw a blood test. And the doctor said, let's take you off the Revlimid. You don't need it anymore. Would you stand? I'm going to read this one more time. And I want to make this a proclamation over our lives and over Bethel, Cleveland. And I want to ask if you would read it, if you would speak out loud after me. And if it's not too religious, put your hand over your heart because life proceeds from the heart, Proverbs says. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength. And my, and my song. He has become my salvation. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord. For he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy. 
O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst, great in your midst, is the Holy One of Israel. Just lift your hands to the Holy Spirit right now. Lord, I pray, Lord, that what you're doing with Bethel Cleveland in the weeks and months and the next few years to come, would you just wash over them with move after move after move of your glory, Lord God. And I pray that you would take their worship, the songs they sing, the songs they write, the songs and things they shout out to you, would you take them into a whole deeper dimension of gazing upon the beauty and the wonder of who you are. And I proclaim over you, Bethel Cleveland, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Whatever battles you're facing, whatever battles the church is facing, the battles facing Cleveland, Ohio, as we proclaim (coughs) the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, the battle belongs to the Lord. Just go ahead and take him into a song.